Hey everybody, Eli Lerman, Eric Bailey, back for another week of Oklahoma discussion. It's a busy week on campus, just a half mile away from each other. The Oklahoma baseball team will entertain Oklahoma State and Bedlam. Uh, around the corner, the Oklahoma softball team opens up the Norman Regional, opens up uh, the chase for a third straight national championship. Uh, a lot of diamond sports is that time of year. Uh, school's out, diamond sports are in, Eli. A busy weekend ahead of us. Yeah, it's, it doesn't die down, but you're right. It's it's probably the quietest we've been on, you know, football and the basketball teams. But now it's all diamond sport time of year. And uh, it's a big series for for OU baseball. Skip Johnson and co kind of playing a, a bit. They're they're in good, decent position playing still for their postseason aspirations. And then we know uh, things are just getting started with OU softball at Marita Hines Field. The, the postseason's really upon us. Let's start there, Eric. We've got, what, Hofstra, Missouri. Cal Berkeley coming to town uh, for, for the for the Norman Regional. Yeah, and you know it's interesting. Uh, Hofstra coming to town. I really got a kick out of it this week. They took they're they're exploring everything. They're they're soaking everything in. They went to Hall of Fame Stadium. Uh, they waited and ate some Ark Oklahoma barbecue on uh, Wednesday night, and then they ended the night. I couldn't tell. They had a tweet about what they were watching. It looked like Miracle on Ice that they were watching on TV. This is the true underdog story. Hofstra uh, won two games in their conference tournament, the Colonial Athletic Tournament, to get to the NCAA tournament. Uh, now they're, they're, they're playing the number one team, number one overall seed, 51-1, and one, mighty Oklahoma. The Sooners are, man, uh, and I should know, 43 in a row. Is that where we're at 43 now? 43 wins 43 in a row, four off the yeah, record. Yeah, four off the record. So 43-game winning streak. The Sooners really roll into postseason with the storm of momentum. I had a softball, national softball guy as DMing with him last night, and he said, buddy, everyone's playing for runner-up. And while you can't say that to Patty Gasso, she's going to have her team focus this weekend, but uh, start off uh, Friday, 4 o'clock against Hofstra. Well, I, you got a chance to talk to Patty. What was the, you talked to her yesterday. What was just the general feel? What was, what was it like talking to her yesterday? Just kind of calm. I mean, they're certainly, they're focused and intense and all that, but um, I, I think this is a team that has uh, obviously carries all the confidence that comes from what they've already done, but this is kind of that time of year they play for, not to diminish the, the previous 51 games and the regular season schedule, but um, as is evidenced by a record of 50 and one and, uh, and 43 straight wins, the, the regular season only strained these sooner so much, but this is the time of year. I think that they, that this is what they play for. And so they live for and all that. And so I think Patty's excited to get this group into maybe some of their most adverse uh, kind of situations they've been in all year. There's the, the added pressure now. And I think there is the pressure that comes with being the hunted. Uh, there's pressure that comes with the, the streak they have and going for three straight national titles. But by the same token, I think there's a lot of confidence there because this is a team that hasn't really been pushed much, if at all, uh, since mid-February. They lost that game to, uh, to Baylor and <laughs> have torn off 43 straight wins. With, with really only a couple of challenges between there. I mean, Eric, off the top of your head, if you take away that Texas game in Norman where OU had to come back and, and uh, you know, were up for those runs in, in the seventh inning, where have they been pushed since mid-February? Uh, probably the one that comes to mind is Oklahoma State, the middle game, uh, mm -hmm. down 2-0 in the seventh, came back four runs in the seventh. I think that really – I think they needed a game like that where they're really backs are against the ropes – facing a loss, which is, you know, really unfamiliar territory, and to find a way to scratch four runs in the top of the seventh, really take the wind out of Oklahoma State sales, not only that Saturday, I think it 
took the wind out of their sails for the following game when the Sooners won five to one in Stillwater to wrap up the sweep. You know, an interesting game, and, and we're going to post a story on Tulsa World a little later today, which is today's Thursday. Uh, is uh, they were pushed a little bit at Tulsa, and, and I know while some will look at the final score six nothing uh, OU win in Tulsa, it was two to nothing in the sixth inning, and Oklahoma had the go-ahead run at the plate. One swing could have changed everything, and that's kind of what happened with Baylor. With the one loss they have down at Baylor, one swing, a three-run homer changed everything. So that's, you know, they, while, while we take it, you know, just that Oklahoma won six nothing, it, it was a two-nothing game in the sixth. I had a chance to talk to Christy Strimple, uh, the Tulsa coach, yesterday at length about you know, how do you beat the Sooners team? And, you know, she doesn't have the answer. They would have won. And she has just mad respect for the Sooners and what they did. But she gave some really interesting comments about how to handle their try to handle. I don't want to say handle because no one's really done it. Try to handle their offense, try to limit their offense. And she calls the pitches for Oklahoma. She mentioned about how, you know, you work from the inside in. Uh, don't be afraid to make a mistake because when you play scared, you got to be, you can't play scared. You got to be aggressive. And, you know, it's all the coach cliches. They put on their pants one leg at a time. You know, you go out there and do your best but she but then she also broke down how good this Oklahoma team is and uh and I really think that that it was interesting hearing from another coach an opposing coach who had faced him and really you know had Oklahoma you know battling and so we're going to focus that story going into the NCAA tournament how do you beat this Oklahoma team uh I and again what you said I agree 100 percent the the uh, confidence of this team. They've been here before. It's nothing new. The, you know, a lot of these players on this team have won two national championships. Even Jordy Ball, uh, who wasn't healthy. She only threw nine innings last postseason. She's healthy this year. She's won a national championship. So there's nothing beats the experience factor as well. And I think that is really going to help this team even more going into postseason. I think in talking about the, this team, there's there's got to be a healthy degree of, of separating from, oh, they're just unbeatable. Uh, but at the same time, Eric, I, it feels to me like this might be Patty Gasso's most unbeatable team yet from a standpoint of, you know, the, the previous teams uh, relied heavily on the long ball. The pitching was superb, but not as robust as it is this year. Now you've got a team that I think has found different ways to produce runs. They feel better than anybody in the nation. This is like the best fielding team Patty Gasso has ever had. And Eric, you can correct me if I'm wrong. I'm not sure that the Sooners under Patty Gasso have had a rotation like the one they have now with Jordy Ball, Alex Storacco, and Nicole May. And it's, it's that that I think, you know, we've seen them dominate before, but I don't think we've ever seen them be this. Again, I use the term unbeatable in just that you, you try to imagine this time of year, someone's going to have to beat them twice. They're going to have to lose two games. And I, I struggle to see perhaps even one loss, but but those two games, whether it's it's this weekend, the Super Regional, or in, in OKC for the World Series, they seem maybe the the most uh, structurally sound of, of any of the teams they've had. And that, that's a good point. And you mentioned the fielding percentage, lead the nation in fielding percentage. They just play so clean. And, and that's the big thing. That when you play clean, good things will happen. Uh, you know, and every pitcher is going to have a day off. They're going to have a day where they're not hitting their spots, when they're just off a little bit. But the beauty for for Patty Gasso, she can go to the bullpen. She has two two other pitchers that she you know she can really just throw at any at any moment against any batter, and they all bring a little bit of different styles 
to the plate. And you got Kirsten Deal, who is going to probably get some playing time in the postseason just to get her a taste of what this is like, because moving forward, they're going to expect bigger things from her, too. So and, and the batting, the, the, the offense speaks for itself. You know, everyone was caught up with Jocelyn Allo last year, but there's so much balance. I mean, one through nine, you get seven, eight, nine in the in the lineup. Uh, you can't take a batter off. You really can't. And, you know, I go back to the Big 12 championship game when Oklahoma's one, two, three hitters, you know, just a murderer's row in itself was 0 for 9. And, but everyone else picked the offense up. So their adjustments at the plate when things are slow are big. I know uh, going into postseason, you know, that's one thing I think, if anything, Patty Gasso, she she challenges her hitters. She wants that offense to be a little bit more consistent. But I know there's a lot of other schools across the country that would love just, love just half the offense that Oklahoma is producing. Yeah, and, you know, again, maybe to the point of this being the most complete team or one of the most complete teams or more complete team is that, you know, it was then the headline yesterday, OU won't have uh, a, a, a doesn't have a finalist for the uh, the the player of the year, the USA softball national collegiate player of the year honors. It's uh, UCLA's Maya Brady, Florida Skyler Wallace, Clemson's Valerie Cagle are the three finalists. And shoot, I guess when you win like the Sooners do, you've got to find something to be upset about, right? If you're an OU fan, you, you, you got to find something. But, uh, you know, it is a bit surprising. Number one overall seed, best team in the nation uh, over the course of the regular season doesn't have uh, a finalist, Jordy Ball, Jada Coleman, Tiari Jennings were on the top 10. But again, you know, in years past, that would have been Jocelyn Allo, right? Eric, in that in that conversation, I, it might be, it, it could be a snub, it could be a bias against, you know, all the things people might throw out there. It also might just be the case that for a team that is, I think, had 23 run rule, rule wins, they're playing less than a lot of teams, but also they're just balanced. And I think that's what makes them even more dangerous perhaps than they've been in the past. This is a lineup that top to bottom, there's not a, a, a hitter you really want to face. And and I think, you know, perhaps that's that's an indication of that, but that, that certainly caught some uh, some heat waves in and around Norman. Were you surprised, Eric, uh, by, by that outcome? A little bit, and you mentioned it. OU fatigue may be playing in a little bit because I know nationally people are tired of Oklahoma. There's so much parity in college softball right now across the country except for one team I mean we're seeing teams you know and, and UCLA put them in that level a little bit too but we're seeing teams beat up on each other but Oklahoma is just dominating and I just wonder if there's a little bit of OU fatigue among the national media and the voters just tired of seeing Oklahoma that could be the case it also could be the case when you have three from one team it's hard to pick one uh, you know, I, I know that you can't go in there and say, oh, this is your number one. This is your, your this should be the top, one of the top three finalists. It's hard to pick one. How do you pick T.R.A. Jennings over Jada Coleman or Jada Coleman over Jordy Ball? I mean, it's hard to pick. And uh, I really think that could be the case where they're kind of taking votes from each other because they're all having good seasons on the same team. So, uh, you know, I, I think it's something that they can build off of. I know fans will get riled up about it. And it's something that's going to be a talking point for a while in the postseason. But I think at Oklahoma, it, it's teamwork. I mean, if you're OU, if you're Patty Gasso, you say, yeah, we don't have a top three finalist. But you know what? It's a team effort. And maybe you play off that a little bit. Uh, that being said, I know that all three of those players are probably competitors enough that it's going to stick in their heads and they're going to have something a little bit within themselves individually to prove, to try to prove during the postseason. It's also, it's worth noting, like we place so many honorifics onto this team. The the player statistically, you know, uh, Maya Brady is hitting 25 points better than 
Jada Coleman. She's got five more home runs. Uh, uh, looking at Skylar Wallace, and for the, the there's statistical differences here, and we can debate what you should get from being, you know, the star player on the best team in the nation, an MVP vote, or I guess it's not an MVP vote; it's a slip. But these these are the conversations we have all around sports, NBA. You know, what is it? What yeah. what constitutes MVP? I yeah. think the Sooners will be okay without this one. Something tells me they're going to be just fine. <laughs> and maybe, maybe it's okay that they don't win every single thing, uh, whether it's a snub or not. It doesn't need to be a snub just because OU doesn't get something, um, which I'm sure will we'll perhaps rub some the wrong way. But um, the fact is they've got the team. Where you want them right now is is where they are, is the best team in the country, far and away, looking like overwhelming favorites to go capture that title. This will not matter in four weeks if they're lifting that trophy again. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that they're the odds-on favorite. I, I'd really love to see Vegas odds on who's going to win the softball championship and just see how overwhelming a favorite Oklahoma is. That's the thing. I just don't – I'd just love to see numbers to see what the perception in Vegas is of this team, how dominant a team this is. Um, so, and, and you, you hit the nail on the head earlier when you said that someone's got to beat them twice. I mean, that's tough when they've only lost one game all year. Uh, someone's got to beat them twice and, you know, they go through the college world series and even if you get to the championship series, you got to beat them twice. So, uh, you know, we're talking so far ahead. I know Patty Gasto, if she'd be cringing right now, if she could hear us talking because she's just focused on Hofstra. She's focused on Friday. So, uh, so we'll see what happens this weekend. Uh, it'll be interesting. I, I can't wait. This is a special time of year. I re- it really, it really is. And this is a fun time for me. You know, me, uh, uh, Eli being a softball guy. Uh, this is fun. This I, I really enjoy it. I'm uh, doing a quick scan. I don't know if I can find any betting odds uh, for softball postseason right now. We might need to fix that. <laughs> no, there's not much out there, unfortunate. But yes, indeed, I think if they were out there, you'd see the Sooners. I, I'd be very curious at just how well favored they'd be and what the margin, the gap would be, but uh, they they head into this in good shape. And and Eric, next weekend the Super Regional, where they to advance? Do we know who they'd be in line to potentially host? It looks like uh, Clemson. Clemson's the 16 seed. Uh, it's funny uh, when when it was announced. I know there were some football fans excited about that because it <laughs> they want Oklahoma to to, to kind of get a little you know Clemson fans uh, a little bit of a rivalry there. But yeah, I think Clemson would be the one to come in. And we mentioned Player of the Year candidates. They'd face one of the best pitchers in the country if Clemson comes. But that's the beauty of postseason. Um, you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know when, you know, someone could emerge from there and you can go from there. So, uh, but, uh, you know, good good news for Oklahoma, good news for Oklahoma State, good news for Texas. The Big 12 had three of the 16 uh, regional hosts and two of the super regional hosts if, if the seeds hold. So it kind of proves a little bit, a little bit of uh, credit to the Big 12. And Baylor, of course, uh, made the, the, the 64 team field as well, as well. Moving on to baseball, that's probably the, the other big thing going on in Norman this weekend, OU baseball kind of on that postseason bubble, hosting Oklahoma State, who could not only wrap up, I think, potentially a, a conf- regular season conference title, but they're they're playing now for um, some higher level postseason seeding. But uh, it's a big weekend for Skip Johnson and Co. It's, it's funny. This time last year, they were in a, a similar spot of just trying to, to play to get in. And we know that team went on uh, to reach all the way to the 
uh, men's college world series championship series, but the Sooners find themselves again after kind of a, an April, May turnaround right there on the bubble. Uh, latest D one, uh, excuse me, baseball America projection has them in going to the Clemson regional, but, uh, the margins are fine. And, and a weekend like this one, you know, the outcome two out of three, you win those that puts them in a great spot going to Arlington drop two out of three, get swept. It's a very different story. And, and, uh, so, it, you know, talking to Skip Johnson yesterday, there's no mistaking around there that what this weekend is is about and, and what's at stake. Same time, it's kind of that we're taking it one game at a time, not treating Oklahoma State any different than Ryder in February kind of vibe is what we got there. You look at Oklahoma State, too. Uh, you know, it's funny. It's been exactly one month today. April 18th is when OU went to Oklahoma State and lost 19 to 8. And Oklahoma was really... It's fluttering right there. And in the month's time today, it's May 18th. Uh, they're going to play today. Oklahoma's won 10 to 13 games since that 19 to 8 loss at Stillwater. So I think that you really see how maybe you turn that could be a turning point. That that loss there could have been a turning point to the season. Uh, you know, they they came they came and turned things around. Um, I thought it was interesting, you know, sweeping Gonzaga going to West Virginia and, and, you know, being competitive, you'd love to have to win the series, but you win one at West Virginia, a tough place to play. Uh, you get over Dallas Baptist, who's always been a nemesis for the Sooners. Uh, but th things turned around and, and, you know, it started with that sweep of Texas, you know, 10 to 13 started with going to Austin and doing something you hadn't done in decades, uh, sweeping Texas. So I think something, something went off after that OSU game in Stillwater, things turned around. I wanted to ask you, UT Arlington, were you surprised that game was canceled this week? Or, you know, do you want to, do you want to be healthy going into the OSU series, having a healthy set of arms? What what were your thoughts on the turn on the quick turnaround with the cancellation? There's a greater sporting debate to be had here about kind of what <laughs> we're doing, but this is, this happens across the country. It's the last week, the regular season. And you're seeing these midweek games uh, typically between uh, either postseason contending teams or teams with their place in the postseason. They've got a midweek game scheduled with a team that, that likely, I believe, UT Arlington themselves are playing uh, for their own place, uh, you know, in, in conference tournament seating and, and ultimately their shot at getting maybe that automatic qualifier, winning their conference tournament, or maybe even reaching there. But canceling games that are broadly meaningless for, for Oklahoma the value in playing UT Arlington the other night, you either take a, a loss on one end to a team that hurts your RPI, or you beat a team and exhaust some arms and exhaust your team midweek before a much more important season for a game that isn't going to do much to boost the, the postseason resume. So they mutually agreed to cancel from the sound of it. You know, it, it just was, it was easier for both sides to cancel. And you, again, you've seen this all over the country. Oklahoma is just getting in on a trend. Uh, and as I say, you could you could debate, you know, the, the sporting nature of that. But from a uh, practical standpoint, that that benefits OU certainly before a big weekend. And, you know, is it, you talk about that turnaround from Oklahoma State in, in mid-April. The two biggest factors since then, the, the starting pitching has mm -hmm. stabilized a bit. Braxton Duthit, uh, Braden Carmichael, James Hitt, they've been giving OU what it didn't have. It doesn't need to be spectacular. Some nights they have been great and, and you know, go in seven, eight innings. But really, it's it, it's doing what they weren't earlier in the season, which was keeping OU in games, keeping this offense, uh, giving them opportunities to come back in games and, and to, to support them. They're doing that. And then Dakota Harris, the, the 
one of the many transfer hits they've had this year, maybe the most important, because not only did they really feel it when he was out for about a month from mid-April, uh, mid-March, excuse me, to mid-April, but that forced other guys who, who performed well in those spots, but to move to other places. You had Anthony McKenzie moving from first base to shortstop. Now that Dakota Harris is back, everyone's back in their place. Got a huge bat in the middle of the lineup. And, and we've seen the results. I mean, they dropped 33 runs across those three games at Gonzaga. And uh, and now they're hitting stride. We'll see if it's enough. We'll see, uh, you know, the, again, this is a, a team that lost 19-8 to to Oklahoma State last time they saw them in Stillwater. A couple of results like that, and, and the road gets a little murkier to the postseason. But uh, I'd, I'd say this weekend for OU is, is all about positioning themselves for next week in Arlington. Win this series, and the pressure's off there a little bit. There's what they need to do there is, is a little diminished. If lose this series, get swept, and they might have to go win the whole thing, which, shoot, only a year ago, they proved they could go do that. But uh, I, I think they'd, they'd certainly like to go there with a little, little bit less of that pressure. You mentioned the starting pitching stabilizing. That's what makes Oklahoma dangerous when you get into these weekends. If your arms can give you a lot uh, of innings where you're not chewing up uh, pitches and pitch counts across your whole staff, that's what was that was the secret to success last year when Oklahoma was you know made it to the championship game, uh, a championship series uh, of baseball. Uh, they had arms that could get you six, seven innings. Then you go to the bullpen, and, and you're right. And that's just kind of what the blueprint is with Skip Johnson. He really, really his teams play the best at the end of the season, especially those pitchers. Uh, and this is a whole new crew compared to last year, a whole new staff. And the mention those three that you mentioned, I mean, the way that they're going in, you really feel comfortable giving them the ball. Uh, you know, it's funny. <laughs> this time of year, I, you know, I mentioned, I asked Patty Gasso about this, and it really also uh, relates to baseball. There's no more school. These 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 guys, can these baseball players can just focus on on going to the cage, getting some extra reps, you know, throwing, throwing an extra pin, getting your, keeping your arms uh, loose, getting rest. It's not only working out, it's getting rest. And I think that's important too at this time of year. And, and uh, so that's that's big for both the baseball program and the softball program. Academics kind of take a little bit of a pause, which allows them to really focus on their craft. And, and again, we, we think, okay, that means go take more swings in the cages also. It also means getting rest, getting your bodies prepared for this run because it's going to be a strain mentally and physically. Yeah, and you know, for, for OU baseball, it certainly was important. Coming back from Gonzaga, they had some travel issues. A, they played a late game in Spokane and uh, on Sunday, which I, I don't know that they were thrilled about just in terms of you typically see these teams, you'll play an early Sunday game so a team can get out. But they played late, flew out of Seattle, and uh, I don't believe everyone made that first flight, just security lines and all that. And you can only imagine what that would have been like if, if class schedules or final exams were in the cards. So even, even things as silly as, you know, what we all deal with, right, travel trials. <laughs> That is aided this week. And I, I don't believe it was the reason uh, that Tuesday game with UT Arlington was was canceled either. But again, you think about what not having class and maybe that flexibility does for a team. And it's intangible. But if that's at all the difference this weekend for OU, it'll all, all be worth it. And, and, you, and we'll be able to look back and say, well, it might have helped that they they had this week off for class and all that. Eli, when I saw the schedule and saw the late start on the West Coast Sunday night, I was stunned. I mean, I, that's yeah. just, it just seemed like it was, should have been an early game and get them away, get away. It's getaway day. It's yeah, exactly. Away. Yeah, you don't want to do that. Um, finally, let's let's talk a little bit of football. Football, it, it, it's so quiet right now, football. I mean, it's that time of year where there's not much going on. A lot of guys, like it sounds like a lot of guys 
uh, over overseas, uh, doing some work overseas. Um, but they they did find time to add a junior college transfer, Lane Jenkins. Um, I was I told Eli before this we start taping. I was scared I was going to say Leroy Jenkins, and it's going to stick in my head. But it's Lane Jenkins, L A I N E, uh, defensive end. Uh, and, and someone asked me a month ago. Uh, what position group did they need to, you know, to continue to add players and continue to add bodies? And I, I just answered, you, you can't get enough defensive linemen, defensive ends, especially with this move you're making. You need depth. You need quality depth. And I think that this was a big pickup. You got a chance to write about him. Uh, just what what's your thoughts on Lane? Yeah, I mean, he's interesting. I, I, at this point of the year, we are getting into the questions around, you know, scholarship numbers. I don't know if we know for certain yet is he preferred walk-on is he scholarship but i don't and 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 you know what impact he'll make in 2023 is a different discussion but fact is he he kind of fits this mold of, of what brent venables and the staff clearly are looking for at defensive end big long and, and he comes with at least several years of eligibility so that to me seems like you know a bet on a high potential guy to me the bigger story here is that you can tell there was a position of need that this staff identified and said we need to retool here this offseason because at, at, as of uh, Lane Jenkins's commitment there's now eight new faces there will be eight new faces uh, in that position group by the start of the season once the the summer enrollees get on campus that's a big overhaul and you you know that's at the top with guys like Trace Ford and Rondell Bothroyd we'll count Desan McCullough in there as well we know he's probably going to play that cheetah position but he had four sacks as an edge guy last year at Indiana You've got PJ Adebaware and and Derek LeBlanc leading, you know, kind of highlighting the the class of freshman signees, and then Lane Jenkins, and so that to me feels whatever impact he has in twenty twenty three. Eric maybe surprises me or all of us and ends up with five sacks and plays a bunch, or maybe he's part of the future and just part of, um, you know, really if you can take a a bird's eye of a, a three or four year view on what they want to do with that room, you can certainly see the fit there, and you can see what they're trying to do with that position i'll be curious if that's you know is that the last addition they make uh on the defense maybe up front you they, they they feel pretty well stocked up front you if they added another linebacker guy in the secondary it wouldn't shock me offense there's certainly still places to to target we know they were after jordan tyson the colorado receiver lined up at arizona state um it, it's worth maybe you or i for a, a story at some point we got to look into the scholarship numbers see where they're at um but I, I think they're close to maybe having added everyone they're going to add. And uh, Lane Jenkins projects interestingly, if, if not for now, certainly for the future. And you, you the, the story you wrote on Lane, you hit the nail on the head with the very last line of your story. Oklahoma's 2018 sacks tied for 64th in the nation last season. That's got to improve. You you got to put pressure. I mean, that it starts up front and, you know, and, and, uh, what Brent Venable, I think Brent Venables and his staff would love to not have to blitz to get sacks. They'd love to get pressure up front. Um, so I think that, you know, this young man could be an addition. It could kind of tell us what they're trying to really look at. They're trying to look at playmakers up front, which again, you know, next year at this time, uh, me and you will be talking about SEC and the schedule and who mm -hmm. they're playing and what they have to do. And a big part of any success is going to be what happens on the defensive line. And I, I mean, just to put a finishing point on that we can we you know five years down the road we might be able to really evaluate the Brent Venables era we're way too early on that yeah. but this is if you're betting on Brent Venables and recreating the defenses 
perhaps the ones he had early in his time at OU, certainly the ones at Clemson. There's a mold here, and you you would at least if, if your faith is in Brent Venables and his defense and how he builds a defense, this is what that looks like. This is him adding guys that fit a certain profile at a certain position to do a certain thing. And you'd bet on him doing the same, you know, Desan McCullough, I think, in that cheetah spot. We'll see how Desan McCullough pans out. He might be an All-American. He may uh, be a guy who gets usurped. He could be anything. But this is what they're trying to do. And you can you can see the blueprint. And if the blueprint works, you're looking at, you know, the same defense as Brent Venables had at Clemson and that becoming uh, the kind of strength that I think can carry OU back to the, the college football playoff and, and all that. So you see the building blocks. And now we're going to get to see where where it takes them. Well, Eli, I'm going to let you take us home, and uh, I will not be here next week. I am going to no. visit. My, I, I'm, I'm excited. I'm like a kid right now. I'm going to go visit my oldest daughter who works at Disney World. Uh, my youngest daughter is more excited than I am because she just she already has all the rides plotted and what parks we're going to and such. But we're going to go to Orlando for a week and uh, hand all the reins over to you. I hope. Last time I took a vacation, uh, I think a, a couple of years ago, or uh, that's when. Uh, the SEC news came out with the OU text. I felt <laughs> oh, awful. great. So I've got yeah. that to look yeah, forward so to. Hopefully nothing like that happens. But next week could be a big week as Oklahoma prepares for the Big 12 baseball tournament, as Oklahoma prepares for probably hosting a super regional. And, you know, who knows, maybe we're thinking 47-game winning streak then too. So we'll just have to wait and see. Well, folks, Eric will be gone, but you'll be stuck with me, which means we're going to do an hour and a half long uh, <laughs> history of the English Premier League starting in 1992 uh, and, and why this is the new york mets year don't write them off yet right right no that that's gonna be the second part and then we'll see if we can get around to ou stuff um <laughs> no i'm going to uh effort to return with a, a special guest next week and we will have everything covered as always on ou sports extra which you can find again as always spotify apple google everywhere you get your podcasts and uh eric will welcome you back in uh in two weeks time Sounds good.